Well, cheerio and welcome back to the Revive Podcast. I'm Carrie, pastor of Connection and Discipleship here at Neighborhood Church. Thanks for joining us. Each week, we love to create and curate resources to help people thrive in Christ. And it's all available at neighborhoodchurch.com slash revive. Today, I've got a new person guest with us today. I'm so excited to welcome Steve to the podcast. Welcome, Steve. Hey, Carrie. Glad to be with you tonight. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, good to have you. I'm welcoming Nick Stonoha back again for another time from our LoSal campus. Nick, good to have you. Outstanding to be with you, Carrie. Glad to be back. Mm-hmm. And also Ron Jackson, our pastor of care and counseling. Ron, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Good to be back here once again. I enjoy it. Yeah. So we've got a good crew here. We've got a lot of things to share. Before we do, we're going to be diving into our passage. It's Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. So if you have a chance, go ahead and pause the podcast now. Go ahead and read Matthew 18, 21 through 35, and then press play again. You'll be able to dive in with our discussion, knowing where we're launching off from. So that's where we're headed. Um, I want to hit first some ideas of what about the culture of the world that Jesus lived in helps us understand this passage better. And so who wants to take it away first? Um, I will. Um, this is Steve, uh, Carrie, and, and, you know, for me, I don't think things were all that different back then than they are today. You know, what is it that people like to say? The more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, you know, the enemy has always been trying to divide us, always trying to make us bitter and resentful toward one another. Uh, that was true then. I think it's true today. One of the things that, you know, we're dealing with in our culture today is this phenomenon we call cancel culture, which is really just another manifestation of a spirit of unforgiveness, but it's really nothing new. It's, it's different in the sense that there's new technology with the internet and social media and the ability to access information, but Jesus had to deal with cancel culture. Uh, he went very much against the prevailing narrative of the day. He said a lot of things the power structures didn't like, and, you know, if the Pharisees would have had the ability, they would have totally kicked him off Twitter. So <laughs> I hear that Jesus had a lot of followers. Was that a Twitter yeah. reference? Yeah. <laughs> okay. A lot of likes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> a lot of likes and potentially a lot of cancels. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's you know, true. Back, like, back then it was, you know, blasphemer and they'd want to stone you. Today it's, you know, hater or whatever popular slander the mob wants to throw at you. But people have always had a tendency to be tribal. And I, I think that's why Jesus talks so much about unity and love and forgiveness and, and the things that bring people together instead of driving them apart. Mm. Absolutely. And one of the other similarities that we see in the passage um, is the, the size of uh, the debt that is owed and the amount of forgiveness uh, that the master offers to the first servant and that his, his debt is essentially um, unpayable, uh, gigantic, in, in, in as far as the sum of, of money that they use in the parable. Uh, and it just shows uh, the level in which uh, we need forgiveness as individuals and, and the, the level of forgiveness that we should look to offer others rather than uh, engage in that cancel culture that Steve was just talking about. And how it's just an example of how we as Christians, we get to be different. You know, we get to set a different example. Mm, 
Yeah, when it says there in verse uh, 26, the servant fell on his knees and said, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And then and the king had pity on him. There was no way he could possibly pay back all of the debt if he had been in exactly. prison for the next 200 years. Um, right. All his family had been working in a sweat labor camp and never would have been able to pay it back. And so that does illustrate God's love for us that we can never repay all the debt, the moral debt we owe to God. But he is so merciful all the same to still forgive. And, and I think the king knew that, you know, when this guy was begging for forgiveness, he knew it was an astronomical debt. That was, this guy couldn't pay it back if he had a hundred lifetimes. Mm. And like today's cancel culture, it's always about what happened in the past. And the only debt satisfying today's culture seems to be someone must lose their job. Someone must lose their reputation. Someone's supposed to be hung or go to jail forever because everybody is offended by this person. And um, there, there is no forgiveness. Uh, it's only revenge, uh, a wanting to get even or a wanting to get a big paycheck from either institution or from a state or whatever, as though that buys dignity. It doesn't buy dignity. I think all these financial rewards basically buy into bitterness and anger because no matter how much money you get, it's never enough. And you'll always want more. Um, so that's the sad thing about uh, today. We don't talk about forgiveness. We talk about getting even. We talk about people making mistakes and unforgivable mistakes, like the unforgiven sin or something. And so there's no dialogue anymore. It's just accusation uh, without proof. Um, and uh, there's just no... Uh, sense of, of honesty or forgiveness mm. along this line whatsoever. It really builds up bitterness in people's lives and bitterness can eat away at your, at your very soul, your very heart. Mm. Yeah, when you right. mention that. Oh yeah, go ahead, Nick. Well, what I was gonna say to Ron's point is uh, it's easier to cancel. It's easier to be bitter. It's easier to be angry and, and, and want people fired and, and demand things in that manner. It's much more difficult to go through the process of forgiveness. It's much more difficult to put on the humility, to take the time that it takes to work through uh, uh, the issues, to understand that people make mistakes and, and to try and uh, meet them where they're at and, and to, to love them. That's much more difficult than just pointing the finger and calling them out and say, I want your head. Mm. Yeah. And you mentioned um, time, humility, and, and love, Nick. I, I wonder in this question for all of us, but, you know, there's, you know, millions of people around. We've got the internet where we can find that one group of people that look and feel and think just like us. So we don't have to rub into conflict. Like why? Why bother forgiving people when I can just leave and go to the church downtown or down the street? It's an excellent question. And I think it speaks to the fact that um, we're called to be a community, right? We're, we're called to, uh, uh, to be different. And, and that call isn't to, when things get difficult, to, to run and hide. Right, because if, if all we do is run and hide, where where's the growth? Where's the learning? Where's where's the, uh, mm. the where's the genuineness? Uh, 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 the genuine love that Christ wished for 
us and for our lives. Well, forgiveness is the key to meaningful relationships. It's what it's what tears down the barriers that divide us. It's it's the key to love, and um, you know, the Lord wants us to live in unity. You know, Romans twelve eighteen says, "If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men." Amen. Amen. Ron, you you mentioned too, like earlier when we were chatting about just the the value of money and and how like things and materialism. Um, do you want to speak to that? Because it does seem like forgiveness and reparations and uh, paying people back or revenge does kind of revolve, have that idea a lot of it. Yeah, these kind of things that they're demanding never bring satisfaction. Um, once you have one person's head, you want another and then another. Um, no matter how much money you get, you always want more. Because money doesn't buy what we really want, which is dignity and a sense of humanity. Um, money is nothing more than a commodity. And when you say, all I need is millions of dollars to make me feel better, then you've, you've turned yourself into a commodity. You're nothing more than a bushel of wheat or a couple of pigs for sale someplace. Um, mm. We have to want the, the humanity of being, being united. And yet today we're so separated by that we find our tribes, um, not our community anymore. We look for people to think like us rather than how can I learn to think like them and to be more understanding and forgiving. Um, going through the book of Luke this last few weeks with my home Bible study, um, my group's been very surprised that at least in the book of Luke, Luke seems to have this wonderful desire to always talk about the healings that Jesus did on the Sabbath day. And uh, every time he did on a Sabbath day, the leaders of that day always complained about the day, not the healing. They never rejoiced over the people that were healed or were made whole. It was, you did it on the wrong day. Mm. And what a sad commentary that they were concerned about the day, not the person that got healed. Mm. Um, and I think that's part of our problem today. We're always concerned about the form but never the trueness of it. Forgiveness takes hard work. There's a grieving process. There's a forgiving process. And I think what Steve brought on on Sunday with, with the life of Joseph and how he had to have had moments of bitterness and anger in his heart. He was taken from his family and put in a foreign land with a foreign language, foreign cultures. And I think these times in prison took years for Joseph to give up and say, Lord, here I am, turn me into what you want me to be. And he became God's man. But for Joseph, I think it took years in prison. Yeah, and I think also something that's significant about that story is, um, you know, the fact that Joseph refused to play the blame game, which is so common today. You know, in both uh, Genesis chapter 45 and chapter 50, when he spoke with his brothers, he said, you know, guys, get over it. I'm over it. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And, and something that we see today in the culture is this idea of, you know, being a victim, a victimology. Everybody wants to be a victim. It's, it's almost like a virtue today. And, and this is related to the issue of forgiveness because, you know, we have a tendency to want to blame someone or something for, 
for who we are or where we are or why we're that way. But, but the scripture doesn't let us get away with that because it's, it's not about what your ancestors did or what society has done to you or what someone else did to you. It's, it's about your own heart and your own desperate need for redemption, whether you know it or not. And my parents divorced when I was five years old and I grew up pretty insecure at times. And, and for much of my life, I would look at my character flaws or how defective I was and think to myself, you know, I wouldn't be this way if my parents hadn't got divorced, if my, my dad had been around or whatever. And, you know, that's just an excuse not to do the hard work that's necessary to forgive and to change and to repent. You know, the Lord wants us to deal with our own heart and, and we trust him to deal with everyone else. You know, we're not the Holy Spirit in pants. So Nice, the Holy Spirit in pants. <laughs> You know, it's funny you mentioned that too, Steve, like I'm looking at the passage you mentioned in Genesis chapter 50, and there in verse uh, 18, his brothers come to him and say, oh man, dad's dead. Now you're going to get back at us. Now that he's not here, we're, we're in hot water. Um, and Joseph, as this, you know, second most powerful man in Egypt with all this power, looks at his brothers who sold him into slavery and in verse 19, he says, do not fear for am I in the place of God? Mm -hmm. And he says, no, I, I can't play the, the game of thinking that I'm God, that I'm going to cast judgment on you or say what's going to happen to you or seek vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, Paul quotes in Romans. And so when we, when we are able to release these things to God and let God handle the justice, let God handle that and the end outcome, there is a, a kind of release of just good. We don't have to play the little judges that run around and exact justice on everything. Absolutely, because ultimately every offense is against God's truth. Mm, yeah. Ron, I wonder thinking too, like about just your experience as a, as a therapist, as a counselor and a pastor, what, what is going on in our minds or our brains as we hold on to bitterness or or withhold forgiveness and then maybe when we choose to give forgiveness what's what's happening in us well first thing we did need to do is get over our denial um first we want to blame someone else and if the other person can't give us a um good explanation for why they committed adultery why they keep on drinking whatever their their, their faults might be um the person stops asking them begins to blame themselves because there's something wrong with me. And then it becomes self-loathing. And basically it does nothing to heal the relationship. Um, the wife begins to feel less valuable. The husband begins to feel he's a failure. There's no place of coming to forgiveness and saying, I am out of control and I need God's help in this. And I sinned against God and I sinned against you. But then the wife or the spouse has to say, and I have to work at forgiving you just like Jesus forgave you on the cross. And that takes time. It takes effort and hard work along that line. Uh, it also takes grieving. And so we have to grieve. Um, that's mourning the loss. But after mourning comes rejoicing. And I look at the long time that Nelson Mandela spent in prison. I really think, and uh, this is my supposition here, if Mandela had gotten out of prison after the first five years, he may have come out a very bitter man because they had taken everything from him. 
But when you look at the fact that Mandela spent 27 years in prison, when he came out, his words were, we must forgive. Mm. And I think that's what Joseph did by being imprisoned unrighteously in, the, in the, the jails of Egypt for a lie against him, for trying to be a righteous young man. And by the time he came out, um, he was willing to forgive and to lead. Because even in prison, he said to the prisoners that got out of prison, would you remember me? They forgot. And so once again, Joseph is disappointed. But when God finally is ready to bring Joseph out of prison, not only is he brought out to, to answer the, the king's uh, wild dreams, the king says, I'm going to put you in leadership. What does prison do that, that gives a man the potential for leadership? I think it's the pain of losing everything and being humble to accept the new power given to you. Right. We so often forget what's on the other side of forgiveness right we, we we're exactly. so bitter we're, we're so angry we forget what's on the other side and, and that is the potential for uh, a relationship if it's a family member or a close friend that you had a falling out with if you're willing to get to a point of forgiveness well then your relationship can restart and, and can blossom and can move forward and you can share things if it's someone who who has uh, uh, just been uh, involved in sin and they're a member of the church and they go through the, the embarrassment of coming forward and admitting their sin. If the church as a whole uh, uh, forgives them, well, then that mm. person now is received with open arms and that person now can get back to a relationship with their community and get back to God's work and what he has for them whether that's leadership or, or whatnot, but whatever it may be, they can get back to that uh, task of, of God's work. Mm. Yeah, it, I think that's something even uh, just to consider too that you mentioned, Nick, I, I hadn't quite considered before, like there's almost a communal forgiveness that can happen too. That yes, individuals sin against individuals, you know, so we're, if we're in marriage therapy or, you know, a friend has wronged us, but you're right. A community, even a church, can also forgive an individual or forgive a group of people within it. That could be really powerful as well. Absolutely. Well, and that speaks to Steve, what Steve was talking about earlier with the cancel culture. You know, someone who has, has, has made a mistake, uh, whether it's uh, uh, legit or, or seen as a, a, a mistake, and they, they come forward, they apologize. Perhaps they lose their job in some cases. And yet mm. a lot of times that's not enough for people. Uh, and it's so unfortunate because the, the, the punishment that's, that's dealt is oftentimes quite large, uh, but it just doesn't suffice sometimes. And it's, it's just truly unfortunate. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think of a story that I read in a textbook about family ministry in seminary where um, they had a, a gal was discovered to be pregnant in the church and she was serving in like the kids ministry or something like that and so she was a known friend of the church member of the church and um, instead of kicking her to the curb or whatnot they they brought her in and she confessed to being pregnant out of uh, out of a marriage context but the church stuck with her through the whole pregnancy 
and ended up showering her with baby clothes and diapers and whatever this young man that had been with her had taken off. And so she's on her own and they come by and bring meals when the baby's born. And, and she still came to a place where she admitted and confessed that that had been sin. But um, once she had shared that, the community was ready to, to love her and accept her and help her walk through the repercussions of what had happened. And I just thought, oh, what a beautiful story. Like, like sin was, can be recognized as sin. We don't have to sugarcoat or downplay or ignore what God's word says are hurtful habits that will hurt us and other people. But at the same time, the forgiveness that can be demonstrated because we've been showing, shown forgiveness from God can be so powerful, such a testimony of, wow, that's a community I want to be a part of. Amen. Hmm. I was in a church where that exact same thing happened, Carrie. Hmm. And what I Were found, they writing about your church, Ron? Uh, maybe, I don't know. Oh um, man, you made the textbooks, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been 10 years old at that point, maybe. Oh. <laughs> uh, but, uh, that happened at the church I was at. And the, the wonderful effect that it had was on the people who brought her the gifts. So many of them had tears in their eyes because they somehow recognized their own weaknesses, their own mistakes that they had made. And here was a chance to truly forgive someone as they had been forgiven by Christ. So it wasn't just the girl that got blessed. It was the church that gave to this young girl and chose not to judge her. Mm, that is so cool, man. It's just when forgiveness can be done well and done in a communal sense, it is such a powerful testimony to God's love for us. I love it. It, it certainly is. Uh, you know, what we get out of forgiveness in terms of uh, freedom uh, and humility and, and, and most of all, the, the love that results uh, from, from us extending forgiveness, uh, just it can't be overstated, truly. Mm. Yeah, any final thoughts? Uh, Nick, Ron, Steve, as we close up our conversation? I think the thing aspect of forgiveness is so needed for today's cancel culture. We're not forgiving. We're hanging. We're all carrying around a cross to crucify anybody that does something wrong. And uh, we don't need to carry around that cross. Jesus paid it all. Right. And we simply need to step into that forgiveness. And frankly, it's hard it's hard to forgive someone who's wronged you. Um, but frankly, Jesus forgave me for all the wrong I had did. How can I do anything less? Amen. You know, he took, he took it all on himself. All of the shame, every last evil, despicable, and paid for it in blood. And, you know, because, you know, if he can look down from the cross at a crowd that is literally murdering him, uh, casting every form of insult you can imagine, mocking his pain and even cheering his death. If he can look down at that crowd and say, forgive them, I think it's a small thing for me to overlook my perceived offenses. Mm. You know, but to Ron's point, sometimes forgiveness is a process. Learning to forgive and let go of that desire for payback comes for t with time. And um, you know, you've, got, you've got to learn to put that fire out. And I think, you know, walking with the Lord as he walks you through that hurt and pain uh, mm. is how you can do that. 
Absolutely. Man, this has been a great conversation, you guys. Thank you so much for joining me here. As you think, listener, as you're here listening about pot, about um, forgiveness and grace and mercy, man, I would just encourage you to be thinking about maybe someone out there is someone whom you still need to forgive. Think about who that person might be and pray for courage um, and give it a try. Um, also, as you think about God's forgiveness to you, how can confession help you appreciate God's grace more? The more and more we can appreciate and be grateful for God's grace for us, we can turn around and then give it to others. So I, I just want to thank each one of you, Steve, Ron, Nick, thank you so much for joining us here on the Revive podcast today. Um, special shout out to Bob Kaler, our awesome audio tech who edits each of these episodes. And also thank you, each of you in our audience for joining us here as well. If you found this episode helpful, share it with a friend. And we would encourage you to keep reviving your soul by subscribing to this Neighborhood Church podcast on iTunes, wherever you find your podcasts. You can learn more about all these topics we've covered today and Matthew 18. Check out neighborhoodchurch.com slash revive. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram or at our Neighborhood Church of Cyprus and Neighborhood Church of Los Alamitos YouTube channels. If you have any questions, you can email me at k-e-r-r-y at neighborhoodchurch.com, and we hope you can join us next time. And until then, we pray that God revives your soul.